0: We have a reason to be joyful for the Lord is great. He is greater than any problem we face. He is awesome, hallelujah. Well, um, my name is Wayne Hilst and been around a long time. It's our 40th year in Israel and I'm kind of excited about that. It also means we're getting old. Um, (laughs) We've been here so long that when we came, the Dead Sea was only sick, now it's dead anyway. Bad joke. <laughs> well, I've really got something on my heart that I want to share with you tonight. I believe the Lord's directed me in this way, but I need his help. So I'm going to pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith. You are the living word. I pray, God, that you would speak through me. May you be seen and may you be heard. May you be the center of our focus tonight, I pray, amen. Well, you can hear my voice is a little rough, <clears throat> picked up a cold several days ago and just about over it now. We are continuing our Isaiah series and I want you to turn to a text in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 57, and we're gonna read just one verse, but many other verses from Isaiah as well. But this is our anchor text tonight, Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus says the High and Lofty One, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with Him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Those are the ones whom he loves to dwell with. My message tonight is revive us again. Since February 8th, there has been a strange phenomenon happening in the United States in a tiny little town called Wilmore, Kentucky, town of 6,000 people, but actually most of those people are students at a university and a seminary called Asbury. For over two weeks, tens of thousands of people have gathered on the grounds of these schools, and many people are calling it a revival, 24-7 for 15 days already. It's amazing. Isaiah chapter 44 speaks of revival as an outpouring, and actually Asbury University is preferring to use that term, an outpouring. It says in Isaiah 44 verse 3, The Lord promises his people this, If they return to him, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Other colleges and congregations across America and many other parts of the world are catching this fire. And it's among young people, of course, students, but it's also among older people as well. What started this? Well, it's interesting. Asbury is a Christian university with three chapel services every week. And on February the 8th, a guest speaker preached, and he's a Jewish believer from an Orthodox Jewish background. And I got to know him four years ago and was actually trying to recruit him. He's also my friend named Jack, Zach, and he preached from Romans chapter 12 on the subject love in action. And he also shared his own struggle with sin, and he encouraged students to address their own sin issues. And the chapel should have lasted for 50 minutes, 5-0, but as it ended, about 19 students hung around and they began to worship the Lord, and some were at the altar and they were confessing their sins and repenting, and the word got out to the rest of the university that the chapel service didn't end. And so they started to peer in and look, and by the end of the day, it was packed. 1,500 students in that extended chapel. It's amazing. And the students began to testify from the platform about the amazing things that God was doing in their lives. While I was in North America a few weeks ago, part of it was to attend the funeral of Pastor Jack Hayford, who became a friend, and he's preached here, even preached at the dedication of this sanctuary, the pavilion, and was on the founding board of FIRM, the Fellowship of Israel Related Ministries. I went to his funeral. It was a wonderful funeral, celebrating his life, an amazing life. Well, I felt led to get on a red-eye flight from Los Angeles to Lexington, Kentucky. It's about 20 kilometers away from Asbury University. Some of you Many of you don't know that I actually studied at Asbury Seminary, which is across the street from Asbury University. So I know the place and hearing these reports got me really excited. Excited because I had been there and God had done some deep things in my own heart and it was miraculous how the doors opened up for me to study there as well. But I was excited also because many of us, including my wife and I, have been passionate in our prayer for the next generation. And to see these students, arising, blew us away. Most of these students are Gen Z. Generation Z are between the ages of 11 and 26 today. And In many ways, this emerging generation looks a lot like the youth that I was like back in the late 60s and the early 70s. Back in those years, there were massive protests. There was a sexual revolution taking place, free love. There was also families breaking apart, and there was experimentation with drugs, and there was rebellion against authorities, and this was the hippie generation, and I was one of those hippies. What happened in the midst of that chaos? Well, God showed up. It was the Jesus revolution, and it made it onto the cover of Time magazine. It was so impactful, and we were the Jesus freaks. Many of the leaders of congregations today and Christian ministries here and around the world are actually those who came to know the Lord during that chaotic period of time. Two days ago, a Hollywood movie came out called The Jesus Revolution. Kelsey Grammer, the great actor, played the part of Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel. And one of the hippies that became an evangelist called Lonnie Frisbee is played by Jonathan Rumi. He plays Jesus in the popular series, The Chosen. And then there's Greg Laurie, who's played by another actor. Greg Laurie is one of the most effective evangelists today. And he packs out Angel Stadium in California every year and does this amazing gospel presentation and hundreds of people come to know the Lord. And who was Greg Laurie back in those days? He was into drugs. His mother was married and divorced seven times, and she, a single mother, raised Greg Laurie. Isn't it amazing what God can do? I was watching an interview with Greg Laurie yesterday. He said that what's going on in our world today reminds him a lot of what was going on in the 60s and 70s, and, and that should give us a lot of hope. If God could bring about a spiritual revolution, then he can do it again. The Gen Zers are growing up in a world where everything is up for grabs, where everything is being questioned, including what gender they are. They're being bombarded by social media, and they're being exposed to every kind of perversion on the Internet and negative influences of TikTok and other social media platforms. It's a time of great insecurity, and we even have a nuclear threat in our world today. Promiscuity is rampant, a study funded by the condom Manufacturer Durex found that Austrian men had the most number of sex partners with around 29 partners on average. New Zealand women have the highest number of sex partners with an average of 20 sexual partners. Sociologists, psychologists, psychiatrists are saying that Gen Z is experiencing great anxiety, stress, and depression, much greater than earlier generations. While Gen Z is a very are very skilled in digital technology. They're also vulnerable to addiction to their devices. Some of us might be subject to that as well. It's causing reduced attention spans and causing isolation. They're losing face-to-face communication skills, which makes it harder for them to develop relationships at any deep level. And while many Gen Zers are activists for social justice, this sometimes results in great polarization with extreme opposing views. And then there's economic challenges. Gen Z, who are going to school now, are piling up student debt that maybe they'll never be able to pay off. And all of these factors are leading more and more of our younger generation to hopelessness. And as a consequence, we're now seeing terrible things happening. Self-harm is a way for young people to temporarily distract themselves from their emotional pain, or to get attention, to get help from others. Some do it to punish themselves for something horrible they feel they've done. Suicide rates are accelerating. And when I was at Asbury University last Sunday, one of the leaders asked whether there were any in the crowd who had recently been considering suicide. And about 50 students stood up. There was one girl, looked like she was 17 or 18, just a few people over from me, and she stood and she wept and And we all gathered in small groups around these people and we prayed and and I believe that the Lord's going to help her. Many of today's youth are being raised by single moms. Many have witnessed domestic abuse and large numbers are victims of abuse themselves. And my friend Zach, who preached that morning at that chapel service at Asbury University, spoke openly about the abuse he suffered as a child. And many of those could relate to his experience. Gen Z so desperately wants to experience fatherly love, the security of knowing that they have a father who will be with them and love them. And I'm thankful to God that he is now showing up as a holy father who loves his children, whom he will not abandon, he will not leave them nor forsake them. All of us, no matter what our age, desperately need God's supernatural power to overcome the enemy of our souls who is seeking whom he may devour. And I believe that this revival or outpouring, whatever you want to call it, might be a part of a fulfillment of what's prophesied concerning the great outpouring of God's spirit in the last days, even greater than what the Lord did on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Pentecost, as you know, is a Jewish feast. It is first fruits festival and you remember Peter as he preached that day on the day of Pentecost he said this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy oh yeah the younger generation and your old your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams I'm still dreaming dreams and not only in the night. Yes, some of this prophecy was fulfilled on that day of Pentecost, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not on all flesh that day. It was on Jewish flesh, and it was on flesh in Jerusalem, many of whom were pilgrims who had come up for this pilgrim festival, one of the three feasts that God commanded the Jewish people to go to. But it was only the first fruits that Peter saw of a greater harvest that is yet to come. Anne Graham Lotz, the daughter of Billy Graham, she's preached here at King of Kings and has become a friend. This past week, her nephew was sent by Regent University to Asbury University to check out what's happening. And uh, she shared a text that she received from her nephew, John Paul, describing what he saw. This is what he said. There was no leader, no rival, no envy, no pride, no all humility, meekness, gentle hearts, stumbling sinners, and tender students serving thousands of curious visitors in their love for mercy without knowing they were doing so. It is legit, he wrote. Gen Z write-offs are graciously allowing us to peek in on this surprising work of God as they serve us like priests unconsciously dragging us into the presence of the Lord through their young, redeemed, romantic hearts for God. Christ is being honored, God is being glorified, and the Spirit is at liberty. Hallelujah. And boy, did those, serve, did those students have to serve the day I was there last Sunday? 20,000 people on the grounds of that university. A line at least a kilometer long waiting to get into that main auditorium of 1,500 people. They had to open up several other chapels, and all of them got filled up. And then some didn't even get into those chapels. God is up to something. It's amazing. And Graham Lotz then said that this outbreak at Asbury could be a sign of the Lord's return. She quotes James 5, verse 7, which says, Therefore, be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. Time will tell whether this is the the great end time revival before the return of the Lord. This prophecy that Joel spoke about. We don't know. But all I know is I want to be ready and I want to invite God to come near and do a deep work in my life. And I believe he's already begun that work. And I don't think my life will ever be the same again after I've experienced that unusual, unusual awakening. For the rest of my message, I want to accomplish a number of things. Number one, I want us to understand what is the goal or purpose of revival or a spiritual outpouring. Secondly, I want to encourage you with the rewards of revival. I want to incentivize you to want this move of God in your life. Number three, I'm going to share with you what you and I need to do in order to be ready and to invite the Lord to move in this very special way. Number one, the goal of revival. I believe the goal of revival, the chief goal is to experience the manifest presence of God among us and in us. What is the goal? It says this in Isaiah chapter 57, our, our text, our anchor text. It says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The word dwell here is shochen. Shochen means to settle down or to abide in. And the noun form is shhinah. We mispronounce it and we say shekinah. <laughs> Shechina is the Hebrew word. God's deep desire is to live with us and live in us. This is the promise the Lord made to Israel in Exodus chapter 29, verse 45 and 46. I will dwell, Shechan, among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell, Shechan, among them. The Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uses the original Hebrew word, shachan, and translates it into Greek as kadaskeno. And this comes from the root Greek word skene. And this word is found in the New Testament. It's found here in Revelation chapter 21, verse three. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle, shachan. Shekeneh of God is with men and he shall dwell with them and they shall be his people. God's deep desire to dwell with us earthlings is one of the reasons why God sent Yeshua to us. John 1:14 says concerning God's son and the word became flesh and dwelt skenē dwelt among us. Aren't you glad that Yeshua came to dwell with us? Some would say in the paraphrases of these of that verse that he came and set up his tent among us. (laughs) He dwelled among us. But after 33 years on earth, Yeshua ascended into heaven. So how in the world will God fulfill his great desire to dwell among us now that Yeshua has gone back to the right hand of the Father? Well, Yeshua anticipated that question, and so he reassures his disciples with these words in John chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. Listen to this. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the Lord cannot, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Aren't you thankful that these Gen Zers who need a father, and are the fatherless generation and have an orphan spirit, many of them. Yeshua said, I will not leave you orphans. I will send my spirit to you. The father and Yeshua will send his spirit. So this is the chief purpose of revival. It's to experience the manifest presence of God. to experience our heavenly father among us and in us by his spirit. And this is why Paul prays for us in Ephesians chapter three, verse 19, that we might know the love of Messiah, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to listen to that, that you be filled with the fullness of God. Does that not hint that there are degrees of fullness? There are measures of fullness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, same book, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's actually keep on being filled in the original Greek. There are measures of fullness. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us when we are saved. We know that. But there there are measures of the fullness of the Spirit that Paul talks about. When God saves us, We have his spirit, but God wants us not to rest on our laurels and just say, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. God wants us to get closer to him, and he wants his spirit to fill us, not even to the brink, but to to overflowing, that others might experience it as well. Can anyone say yes and amen? amen? Hallelujah. Filled with all the fullness of God. In order to give you an even greater desire for this experience, I'm going to now list some of the many rewards that come with being filled with the fullness of God. Number one, fruit. Fruit. When we are revived and we experience greater measure of the fullness of God, the fruit of God's Spirit grows on our branches. Kevin Brown, the president of Asbury University, said this a few days ago. Whether you call this a revival, a renewal, an awakening, or an outpouring, what we have experienced on our campus these last few weeks is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. It has been a beautiful picture of what Scripture refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isaiah we're studying Isaiah, aren't we, in this series, prophesies about what will happen to Israel in her latter-day revival and restoration. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Isaiah 58, verse 11 says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a well-watered garden. Fruitfulness. Number two, another reward of revival. A pastor's kid at this revival, whatever you want to call it, confesses that he had fallen away from God, but he came back to the Lord in these last few weeks as revival broke out at Asbury University. And he publicly testified, saying, I struggled heavily with mental illness and suicidal ideation. I longed to belong to be loved, and I've been running away from God for so long that I didn't know where to start. I began to go back to what I've been doing for years and run to things that only provided momentary pleasure and left me emptier than I was before. In the last two or three weeks, i felt the love of God in a way that I have never felt before. And Isaiah 43 says this concerning love. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave, gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for your, in your place, Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. The restoration of Israel will be a restoration of love. God will reveal his love in unprecedented ways. I've been quoting Isaiah a lot, and these promises of God's presence relate particularly to Israel and her restoration, but not exclusively so. Isaiah sees in these promises also a fulfillment in the lives of those who are not Jewish but by putting their trust in Israel's Savior are grafted in among the remnant of Israel, as Paul reveals. Isaiah 56 verse 3 says, Do not let the son of, your, of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Then verse 6, Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. God has a love Relationship, not only with the Jewish people, but all of us who are grafted in among his original promised people. Not that we've replaced them, of course, but together with the remnant of Israel, we are in a new relationship with God. You and I are the bride of Christ. Does he love us? Of course he does. And he's coming back for us to be reunited with us, even physically. In heaven. No matter who we are, when we're revived, our love intensifies toward the Lord. But love is not what, our love does, is not what starts that relationship of love with God. First John 4:19 says, We love him because he first loved us. He took the initiative. We respond to his love. Number three, joy. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Psalm 85 verse 6 says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Revival brings joy. And it has characterized this outpouring that we have seen in the last few weeks. One of the students who gave his testimony at the university said on Thursday, as I grew up, I began to slowly choose the world more and more. I started to feed my flesh more than feed my soul. I hit a season in my life that has brought a lot of trauma into my life and sent me into a season of dark depression. But he also says, anxiety and depression have become the calling cards of the younger generations. And my two biggest things in revival that God has revealed to me are, God is bigger than I thought he was. My God is bigger than my depression and my God is bigger than my anxiety. And my story can be your story because God died on the cross for anxiety and depression to set us free. He walked out of the grave and so can you. (laughs) Psalm 16 verse 11, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. Oh Lord, revive us again. Let me give you another reward of revival, and that's perfect peace. Isaiah, again, 26 verse three declares, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When you are experiencing true revival, your mind gets stayed on God. You get your mind off your problems, and you get your mind on the promise solver, problem, problem solver, and that leads you to perfect peace. Another reward, comfort, Isaiah 51 verse three, for the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And then Isaiah 61 verse one, and we know that Yeshua understands that this is him, the Messiah and savior of Israel, and he quotes from it in the synagogue in Nazareth. He says these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Verse three, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He comforts us in his presence. Isaiah 53 verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says, Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Wow. Experiencing the comfort of the Lord is so great that you can't help but tell everybody what's happening in your life. And God uses you to bring the gospel, the good news, and it will cause multiplication of souls. Hallelujah. Number four. I think it's number four. Through revival, God repairs what is broken. Isaiah 58 verse 12 says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The repairer of the breach. Do you have any things that are broken in your life? broken relationship. Maybe you're broke financially. When we are revived by God, he offers himself to be the repairer of the broken places. Number five, revival makes a way where there is no way. Isaiah 43, verse 19, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness. Hallelujah. He opens up ways where there are no ways. He is the way maker, we sang tonight. Are you trying to go somewhere, but you keep hitting obstacles that stop your progress? God wants to intervene in your situation, clear those obstacles so that you can go forward rather than being stopped in your tracks. It happens through revival. Number six, God's presence is with us in our troubles. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. The Lord does not promise that we will not have troubles. Yeshua promises us that in this world, we will have trouble. (laughs) But the promise of God's presence through our troubles is a wonderful thing. Revival leads to a greater measure of the manifest presence. The good news is God will not leave us when we go through trials, but he even draws closer to us. How many times have you heard testimonies? Maybe you yourself can testify that at the worst times, whether it's physical illness or other struggles that you have, that you feel the Lord's so near. It's strange, but it's true. Daniel's friends went through the fire. Remember Shadrach? Meshach and Abednego, they refused to worship the emperor. And so Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the burning, fiery furnace. And we read these words in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The Son of God is with you in the fire. If you're afraid that you're gonna go up in smoke, get revived and watch the Son of God join you in the fire. Watch what he'll do. Daniel 3.27, "'And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power,' The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Wow. He goes with us through the fire. Number seven. I think it's the last reward I'm going to mention. There are many others. Release from bondage. Again, Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. You may have a besetting sin. You may have an addiction. You may have something that you cannot overcome. You're in bondage to this thing. Get revived and see what God will do he will bring release to your captivity. So what have we seen? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, perfect peace, comfort, repairing that which is broken, making a way where there is no way, God's presence with us in our troubles, and release from bondage. I just thought of one more. (laughs) It's actually in my notes, but I was gonna not say it. God gives us the desire to tell others the good news of what God has done for us. Isaiah 42, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand, his presence. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. He comes into us and revives us so that we will be a light to the nations. When you fall in love with the Lord, he's holding you by the hand. You can't help but tell somebody. I think of my wife when I first met her. Within an hour of meeting her and speaking to her for five minutes, I went home and I had to tell my brother I met the girl I'm going to marry. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't help telling people about this girl that I'm gonna marry. I couldn't help but show her photo to everyone. I show my grandkids' photos now, but I also show hers. In fact, she's on my, she's on my screen on my phone. So if I'm going to get distracted, I'm going to get distracted by her. That's a good thing. (laughs) Quick summary. The goal and purpose of revival is to experience the fullness of God, the manifest presence of God among us. And then there are these great rewards, which I've spoken to you. And finally, I leave you with this. Here are the keys to experiencing this greater fullness of God's presence. Number one. We see this in Isaiah 57, again, in our chapter, in our verse, verse 15. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Sounds like he's repeating himself. He is because it's so important. The key to revival and experiences unusual presence is that we become contrite and humble before him. I dwell in the high and holy place, but with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To experience a greater measure of the presence and activity of God, we have to be honest about our true condition. Isaiah said, God dwells with one who is contrite and humble. Contrite in the Hebrew, dakah, means to be crushed. Dacha or dakah, depends on modern Hebrew or ancient Hebrew. Dikaon is depression in modern Hebrew. It's related to that word. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. If we think we have it all together and think we don't have any broken places in us and that we don't recognize our sin, which means to miss the mark, then we will not experience the full measure of his presence. First John 1 John one7 7-9 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Yeshua the Messiah, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reason we don't experience the manifest presence of the Lord many times is because sin has separated us from God. If we will humbly be contrite and confess our sins to the Lord, that separation barrier is removed, and we renew that wonderful fellowship with him. The president of Asbury University, Kevin Brown, said a few days ago, I have observed radical humility, compassion, honesty, confession, and life-altering commitments. What happens when we humbly confess our sins? Isaiah 43, 25 says, Even I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. For my own sake. That's interesting. Because God wants to have fellowship with us. And he knows that our sin is separating us from him. And he can't fully fellowship with us unless we confess that sin and he forgives us our sins. Isaiah 53 describes the lengths to which our Messiah went to take our sins upon himself so that we would be released from our sin and that separation would be removed. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many just as if we've never sinned for he shall bear their iniquities. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Aren't you glad that Yeshua bore the sin, our transgressions, that the door has been opened for us to walk into his very presence. We, we come to the throne of grace through the shed blood of Yeshua who has gone ahead of us to the Father and is leading us the way back to him. Can anyone say hallelujah or something like that? Yeah. But we must appropriate what Yeshua has done. We must, as it were, apply the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of our heart by faith to receive what He has done for us and say thank you. And then be so grateful for what He has done that we say, I'm going to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Hallelujah. True revival is like a spring cleaning, purging the clutter and the distractions that have accumulated in our lives and refocus our attention on God. And sin is the greatest distraction. Number two, many of us are really good at confessing our sins. But did you know that's not enough? We also need to repent of our sins. What's the difference between confession and repentance? Repentance means doing a 180 degree turn and going the other way, Chuva. Changing direction in Hebrew. Metanoia is the word in the Greek in the New Testament. It means to change your mind. But putting those two things together to repent is to make a decision in your mind that you are not going to keep sinning those same sins that you've been confessing. You're not only going to change your mind, you're going to change your act. If you're wondering why you're not experiencing a greater measure of the presence of God in your life, perhaps it's because you've been doing a lot of confessing but not a lot of repenting. Ben Witherington, a respected theologian and professor at Asbury Theological Seminary where I studied, in recent days, he was reflecting on this revival or outpouring and he says this, Christ has already paid for those sins, past, present, and future, but to appropriate the benefits of that atonement, one needs to repent. We don't hear many messages about repentance anymore, but it's what the Bible teaches. And lastly, this, Hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Revival is refreshing rain, renewing the dry and thirsty souls of believers and quenching their spiritual thirst. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Thirst, hunger. He wants to give us abundance, especially the abundance of his manifest presence. Matthew 5, 6, Yeshua says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right living, righteousness. Hunger for obedience to God, and you will be filled with his presence. Luke 6, 21, in another sermon, this time on the plain, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Some of us want to wait for the revival to come our way, and then we'll take these steps. I say, don't wait for a corporate revival. Have a personal revival right now in this service tonight as we close this message. I'm not waiting for something to come blowing this way. I'm waiting. God's waiting for me (laughs) to do something about this. Some of you need to confess some sins that you've not yet confessed. Some of you need to pray like David prayed after committing adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. That's confession. You acknowledge what God already knows. You acknowledge it. And my sin is always before me. Against you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Some of you need to confess and some of you need to repent of the things you've been confessing. God inspired the psalmist to write this in Psalm 119. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you David continued his confession and then he asked God to help him repent and turn from those sins. We see that David understood that it was God's Holy Spirit who would enable him to repent, that is to turn from those sins. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me or sustain me by your generous spirit. We cannot repent. We cannot follow him. We cannot live righteously unless the Holy Spirit enables us, upholds us and sustains us in this. I would ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. and I, If you want to pray along with me, I'll pray slow enough that you can. You can say it under your own breath or say it out loud. Heavenly Father, I need you. Without you, I can do nothing. Without you, I will miss your mark. Without you, I will not have those fruits of the Spirit. Without you, I won't obey you. I am weak in myself. Oh God, I confess my sins to you. I repent. I make a decision right now to turn from those things turn around and go 180 degrees back to you back to my first love and follow you wherever you go but help me Lord I can't do this alone I need your promised Holy Spirit to invade my life Rid me of the evil inclination of my heart. Change me, oh God, revive us again. In Yeshua's name, amen. I'm gonna invite anyone who feels led to come to the front and we have our prayer team here and I'll join the prayer team as well. If any of this strikes a chord in your heart and you want the manifest presence of the Lord, you want a greater measure of his fullness, you want revival, and I want you to come. And We're going to believe that God will begin that work or complete that work in you tonight. I invite you to come.